Hi, I'm Megan Francis. And I'm Dave Kroc. And this is the LifeWork Podcast. In this show, we'll explore what it really takes to build a business while designing a life that matters. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Episode 9 of Life Work. Megan Francis here with Dave Kroc. Hey, Dave. Hey. So if you listened to Episode 8 the other day, I interviewed a really interesting man named Joe Nolan, who um, is the owner of a natural food store, but opened that um, when he was 45 after having spent 20 years as an investment banker. And we dug deeply into some of his passions and hobbies and the things that he loves to do now because he set up his life and business in such a way that he can do those things. And so it kind of led Dave and I to have this conversation um, about, you know, the whole idea of following your passion. Is that necessary? Is it even a good idea? Does it have to be one or the other? And so that's what we're going to be talking about today um, in a more personal way for Dave and I. Because we're both passionate, highly passionate people. <laughs> I'm, I'm passionate about stuff. Uh, yeah. I like stuff. So Dave, talk about some of the things that you do in your life that are not necessarily related to work, although they could be. Yeah. Well, so I, I'm, I'm a textbook case of follow your passion. Um, I hated, hated, hated the idea of the nine to five, the idea of going to work at a job you hate for lots of years until what's left of you gets to enjoy what you have left. Th- that was never attractive to right. me. Mm-hmm. And, and granted, that's a very cynical view of the work world, yes. right? Because that's coming from the, the place of somebody who was not expecting to do something in the work world he was passionate about. Mm-hmm. That was me. I didn't realize you could do what you are passionate about for a living. Um, so, but one of my initial, my initial real career was in the music industry. So I was a drummer in a rock band in high school and after high school, we kept playing a little bit out after that. And then I, I got interested in the production side of the music industry. And so I started recording not only the, the albums for the band that I was in, but then also other bands of friends and people around, around the Chicago area and, um, really started to develop a passion for the creative process of, of making an album. So starting from no songs, no music, working with the artists all the way through working with the people that want to see the money out of the album and kind of bringing all those different personalities together to create something that is actually meaningful. Um, that was really attractive for me. And so I ended up starting a recording studio with a partner, which essentially from my perspective failed because I knew nothing about business. I didn't realize what it took to get people in to record, but I was following my passion. So kind of an interesting, interesting little segue there. I mean, eventually that led me into to learning about business and, and falling in love with the creative process of just like making an album, pulling all the pieces and, and people together to make a, make a business produce the results. So, um, yeah, so that's a little bit of an interesting crossover, I think. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hearing that you've learned a few lessons. First of all, it sounds like your, yeah. your true passion was you just didn't really want to work at a job. My, my true passion <laughs> was I wanted to sit on my butt yeah. and do nothing. But it, it that's also, not true, but that's, yeah. I had an anti-passion. Right. For sure. Yeah. So you, you did also learn though along the way that it didn't have to be the one thing. It didn't have to be you drumming. Did, right. You know, it, it yep. could, there were other ways to, to pull that thread through. Ultimately though, you also learned that it was not ultimately a success for right. you. So, for sure. Yeah. 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 I became the the textbook definition of the starving artist. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me think of um, Derek Sivers, uh, the founder mm-hmm. of CD Baby. And I saw him. Did I ever tell you the little, the little anecdote, by the way, that for a long time I thought it was CD Baby, like S-E-E-D-Y. Like CD 
club, like a seedy club. And yeah. I'm thinking, I don't, I don't like thinking about a seedy baby. There's something really creepy about. Oh, that. Oh, I see. Yes, yes. The youth <laughs> combined with the seediness yes. of a club. Yeah. Then when I saw it written down, I said, Oh, oh that was me. Yeah. <laughs> Not him. Yeah. Anyway, um, so I saw him speak at the World Domination Summit last year, and he, he kind of went through the whole thing about how, and it's interesting, and we've linked to it in the past, and we can link to it again. Yeah. But um, how he started the business and, you know, it kind of just grew out of this, he was a musician and he hung out with other musicians and they had this shared need and it blew up sort of in spite of him. Yes. He didn't set out with a plan. And what I thought was really interesting is throughout this, he kept kind of coming back to this when he sold it for, I don't know, like $20 million Mm -hmm. and then said something to the effect of, and then I used it all. I used all the money. I don't even remember if he said what he used it on. It was basically like, I spent it all in this other business. I have no idea if it's going to work out. Do not do what I did. Yeah. And I thought that that was, what I loved about that was that that does show the 1% or the 0.5% or the 0.05% or whatever of people who just kind of have a cool idea or something accidentally happens and then they make it big. And those are great and those are inspiring stories and people love to hear those. Yes. Um, But they're really not applicable to 99.75% of us. Yes, there's a survivorship bias there, right? So you're seeing the the heroic people that made it work and maybe they're not even heroic, you know, maybe just... Just luck, luck, luck timing. kicked in, timing yeah. the right place at the right time, and and that's not. And I think that leads a lot of people to think you have it has to be the right place at the right time. But um, let's let's be honest. Ninety six percent, I think, of all businesses fail in ten within ten years. Right of every type, big, small, doesn't matter. Ninety six percent fail. The four percent, I believe, and I'd, I'd have to look back at some of the studies that have found that ninety six percent. I believe end up continuing on into perpetuity. They they right. do survive, right? But there's certain things that they've looked at, certain ways that they've operated over the course of time that have gotten them there. So going back to how that applies to somebody's passion, if somebody says, I just, I really enjoy making soy candles that smell like socks, you know, like that is soy <laughs> sock you know that was candles. My passion, Dave? I, I don't know. I just, <laughs> I just read it on your blog. So, soy sock candles uh, is my passion. Well, there's, what is there? Six people on the entire planet that might enjoy that scent. Right. And so if I can find all six and I can sell them every one of my soy because candles. Because they're willing to spend a lot of money. Yeah. How many candles do they need in a year? Right. Well, okay. So I made $75, right? That was right. my, my passion. I followed it and I, yay, but I can't eat, you know? Right. So the idea of how can I transition what my passion is into, into other things, I think is important, but yeah. And I've completely lost where your original. Well, no, I mean, you, you, you basically just made my point for me, which is, and I, and I don't want to sound defeatist because I, I have, um, things I feel very strongly about. I love art. I love artists. I love people who make art. I think that those are important, important things. Mm -hmm. Um, and never want to discourage, especially a young person right. from trying that out, you know, and, and trying to make a go of it. But what I do think about, you know, in my experience, when someone, you're talking about 96% of businesses fail. Mm-hmm. If someone approaches one of those 96% of businesses as a business, something they're creating a service and maybe it doesn't work out and, you know, maybe it fails for whatever reason, right. they can pick up the pieces and do something else. They yes. can try again. Yes. I feel like when you're, so personally tied to it. You know, if I went out as a 21 year old and had tried to make it on Broadway, which I kind of toyed with Mm -hmm. and I would never have made by the way. Um, 
and fail, then what? Then what's the next business model for me? Right. I can't now just be like, well, that didn't work out. Right. My life's purpose. My life's purpose failed. didn't work. Yeah. Um, what's huh. the next thing? So I think, you know, it's like that balance. Like there's going to be those people, those breakthroughs who make it and have that awesome career, that awesome business based solely around the one thing they love to do more than anything in the world. Yeah. And then there's other people for whom you can kind of see it become a drag because mm-hmm. then every gig, every interaction, everything they create or make has to earn the money, usually not what they really need, not enough, yep. you know? And so I guess what we're talking about is kind of turning this whole topic on its head. Maybe it doesn't have to be one or the other. You still drum, correct? I do. I yeah. absolutely. And that's the thing that's important is right. all through... Now, I took some years off. I didn't right. play for almost 10 years, actually. But when I picked the sticks back up, I had spent a lot of time listening mm. to music. So yeah. without actually playing it, I'd listened to it. So I was still immersed in it. And and when I came back to the music, I actually found I was a better drummer in some ways from not playing than from doing it. So the passion was still there. I went back to the passion, started playing again. It had a new meaning for me because it wasn't, I didn't have to eat by drumming, right? right? Yeah. It became a new thing for me. So now I could look at it in in a more pure form, not saying commerce and passion don't mix. And And I think there's... Um, we, we stumbled upon a, uh, great article from a upcoming guest. Yeah. She'll be on the show. show in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Tara Gentili. Mm-hmm. Um, she's going to be on the show in a couple of weeks, but she has a great article out there. If you find, search for this, uh, we'll actually link to it in the show notes called stop trying to make money from your passion. And there's some, there's some great points on both sides of it. Uh, again, nobody's arguing here that you can't make money from your passion. It might be the exact right thing for you to do. But one of the, the money lines from this article is you don't make money from your passion. You create the opportunity for commerce around the way your passion inspires you to serve others. So it's not the passion that triggers the transaction. It's the service. It's the inspiration from your passion, um, which I think is a great way to look at it. It is. Um, I love that because I think... With flexibility, most people can find ways to take the thing that they love and turn it into something someone else needs because that's really what a business is. Right. You're not just doing something because you love it. You're doing something and and you're creating value for somebody else that they're willing to pay for. Mm -hmm. Um, It makes me think of when I was a young writer and had kind of given up on the idea of being on Broadway (laughs) at that point in my life. Hey, I could still do it, by the way. Yeah, exactly. There you go. But just for that period of my, that season of my life, it was not the time for that. And um, when I sort of came into writing, I had kind of grown up thinking, oh, well, writers are novelists. Writers are poets. That was what I was taught in school. Um, The writing for publication... um, classes are generally mm-hmm. in the journalism school mm-hmm. or the marketing school mm-hmm. in in a col- at a college. So if you sign up to be, you know, if you're in an English program or a literature program or a creative writing program, you often don't even learn about other forms of writing that could earn you actual money, like make you a living. Right. So um, not to say that people don't make money on novels, I but again, it's a very low percentage sure. of novelists who actually ever earn real money from oh yeah from that art and there are novelists out there names you would know right that are not they're, they're not, not doing that well they're, yeah. they're kind of struggling yeah, yeah yeah if you're like a mid-list author unless you're cranking out you know unless you're like a clancy or whatever like just cranking sure. out you know one of those crazy followings where people yep. buy every single book and they go mass uh, mass mass market most authors have to subsidize their work with other with other stuff so I kind of realized early on, well, I can't really do that. I can't really sit around and work on a novel for the next five years um, because I have to make money. And But what is is there a way to take what I love about writing and communicating and 
bring that to the market in a way that is needed that other people are willing to pay real money for. Mm. And that was where I kind of took a little detour as a writer. Now, could I have done that as a singer slash musical theater actor? It would have been way harder. I mean, I'm sure I could have right. I could have taught camps for kids or right. I could have right. created some service around it. Um, that didn't sound as rewarding to me as it did just show up and do a play every now and then and not get mm. paid. Mm-hmm. To me, it was more satisfying to just keep that kind of pure and uncomplicated and not have any expectations around it and do it simply for fun um, and for the love of it and just for the, for the creating of art around it. And I think that was a decision I had to make. Um, But I think almost anything people, whether it's an art or something completely different, almost anything someone loves that much that they're willing to do it for free, (laughs) you know, maybe just keep it that way. There's this, I feel like we, we do too much. We tie too much in sometimes. Like we try to mix two things together that don't always have to be mixed and maybe shouldn't sometimes be mixed absolutely so those outside passions yeah. so let's let's talk we've mentioned a little bit of yours yeah right you have an, an enjoyment of theater yes um any other big ones that are your, your passions that you have that that you don't tie to commerce you know hmm no, right now, I think music and, and theater are kind of mm-hmm. it. I did think it was interesting. Um, it's similar. I took about more than 10 years off. And one thing I want to touch, like tease out that you meant, that you touched on was the idea of becoming a consumer of music or mm-hmm. art rather than a creator of mm-hmm. it. Um, I think that is also a completely valid and legitimate way to participate yep. in it. Sure. And I also feel like I've gotten, I feel like when I came back to it, when I came back to theater and music, I was way better than I was as a younger person for lots of reasons. I have more life sure. experience. Right. I have more, you know, to draw on. I have a bigger well of experiences to draw on. But also I think I just listened and stopped listening with the idea that it was me, like I was the star and just started listening to how real artists did these things yes. and learned a lot from that. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of it for me. But one thing I, another thing I thought was interesting and you mentioned sometimes, you know, your passion is your business. And I, when I think back to being a kid, what did I think I was going to be when I grew up? Well, what did I play? I played solid gold dancer. Do you remember the show solid gold? Yeah. Okay. I wanted to be a solid gold dancer. Okay. I wanted to be a singer and actor and I wanted to, I played business. I played business all the time. I had always had a store or is always selling something. Mm-hmm. And I never grew up thinking of that as something that I could call a passion until I got to be 30, you know, some years old and thought, oh, that was just as much fun for me as, as those other things that mm-hmm. I, that were legitimized culturally as being true passions, like selling stuff. Right. Was also really fun for me. Yeah. So. Well, and who calls that a passion in today's world? Like, right. people, people look at that as the, you know, now you've sold out. Right. Exactly. Because now you're, now you're getting into the position where you're, where you're selling your stuff or you're selling whatever it is that you're passionate about. I, I think it's important to note there's a, so you talked about college and yeah. how university focused on the different types of writing, mm-hmm. journalism or this true sort of the way we the think art. of writers, yes. the art of writers, yes. the, the poet, the, you know, the, the person that's hiding away for months in a, in a, garret, in a hovel, a you know, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Turret. Right. There yeah. you go. Um, but what's funny is, think about it, since the advent of the internet, who are the people that are really making it as writers nowadays? It's the pe- it's the content marketers. Oh, yeah. It's the people that understand how to write for an audience to give that audience what it is looking for. Right. Which, that's the gap, right? Yeah. That was the gap. So there's, an, there's a chance, and, and as we know, uh, you're a content marketer, most of the best content marketing is not all sales speak. It's not at it's all. It's not copywriting. And it's it- focused on providing value and... It- 
And, and, and creating an emotional response. Absolutely. That's really the, probably the number one thing that, that if you can do that, if you can create an emotional response um, in a reader, you will, you will be, bring so much value to content marketing because like you said, it's not, yep. it's not advertising. It's yes. completely different. Yep. Um, there is that, that mixing now. And I love that, yeah. the, the blending and the mixing. And we've talked before, I think maybe in one of our very first episodes, um, we were talking about what the benefits of technology and sort of, again, and the, the downside. And I yeah. was saying, you know, how much I feel like having access to the internet has changed literally everything for me as far as mm -hmm. what career options were open for me, what business I, um, I could pursue, but also just showing me another side that there doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be people in this camp or that camp. Right. Things are starting to just get very muddy and gray. And I think in, that, in a really good way, things are, entire new industries are coming out of things that, like, think, that didn't even used to exist because of the smelting. Yeah. It's kind of a tangent, but... No, no, it, I think it, it ties in really well. I mean, in, so I think of guys like Gary Vee, yeah. Gary Vaynerchuk. He's got a great book out there we've mentioned before called mm -hmm. Crush It. So the premise of his book is you can take things that you're passionate about and you can just flat out be passionate about them in forms of media that could include blogging and writing. It could include audio, like what we do with this podcast. Um, it could be video like he did with his wine library TV when he originally one of the very first vi online TV shows in a way, right? Um, you can turn that passion into a business by developing an audience around the passion that you have for what you do. And then eventually there becomes monetization opportunities, which we didn't have that level of um, ability to do that, to monetize those things back before the Internet became prevalent. And so I think it's important. That's another good good place to be when we realize that passion. Yes, following your passion may not always lead to uh, your ability to just just do that. You right. might have to be forced to subsidize that with other uh, a different job, a day yeah. job, or something that you know you're not as passionate about or whatever. Um, so I, I think that's important to to focus on. And but at the same time, you can you can actually turn a passion into a career yeah. or a business yeah. um, more readily than ever before, I think. Yeah, yeah. And and a passion isn't always something that you just that you do. It's not necessarily the product. Like when I think about Gary Vaynerchuk, and I'm thinking, what is Gary Vaynerchuk? Like, what if I asked him this question? I don't know what he'd say. But part of me thinks Gary Vaynerchuk is really passionate about crushing it. And he wants like everyone yeah. else to do it. Right. It almost doesn't even matter. You can just tell he's so jacked up all the time. Right. He's so hyper about life. Being hyper is like his passion. You know, yeah. if you really boil it down to right. something very, very um, basic mm -hmm. um, and the essence of what it is, you know, mm -hmm. we've talked about this at the um, the entrepreneur group that, that you run, Dave, or that you host or whatever that I've been to a couple of times. If you really boil it down, maybe it's not writing, but communicating. Maybe it's not you know, selling, but helping. Like right. there's always some, there's another level, another layer. There's a more, to peel away. more base layer. Yeah. I had, um, I met a lady through a class that I was teaching um, about, and, and basically I was just telling my story and, and showing how there's certain principles that I believe you can follow to end up being number one, if you're in business in that 4% that make it, but also just personal success. And her passion, what she was looking for was a job as a housekeeper. She wanted to be a housekeeper and she was having trouble finding a job as a housekeeper. And so we were talking about, well, what is it that you do what as a housekeeper? Do? Yeah. What would you say you do here? <laughs> do you, do you just wipe stuff down? Do right. you do dust? Do you clean? You know, what is it that you do? And when we were able to zero in on what exactly is the end result, what are you providing for people? What's the value? It boiled down to her realizing 
I make things beautiful. Mm-hmm. I don't dust or mop. Right. I make things beautiful. I make spaces the best that they can be. So now she goes in to an interview and says, you know, people say, well, tell me about yourself. Well, I make things beautiful. I make spaces more amazing than they are on their own. So you should hire me to do that. Right. For, and boom, first interview job. Yeah. Because she focused in on where the passion was. Right. Right. And it doesn't have to be something that is necessarily the thing that you are doing. Right. So the, right. the task that you're doing or whatever that business is, that might not be your passion. But what you bring to that is your passion. Yeah. And that reminds me of um, an interview I, I saw recently with Mike Rowe, mm-hmm. the guy from the TV show Dirty Jobs. Yeah. He's great. Uh, great guy. Uh, great voice. And... Uh, <laughs> He also, I think, is the narrator for um, Deadliest Catch as well. I don't oh, know. If... I, you know, I've watched Deadliest yeah. Catch, and I always thought, oh, whose voice is that? Yeah, he's got, and he's got a big contract, or yeah. has had a big contract okay. with Ford and a yeah, few yeah, other, yeah. a few yep. other things. Well, he he's like the. I think he's a perfect representation of us, of humanity, in mm. a way. Like he's a he does a great job of getting to the essence of humanity, and I think people ask him a lot about the idea of following his passion. So or following your passion, his the sh- his role on the show Dirty Jobs is to find people that are doing jobs that, that most people wouldn't think they would do. Right. Right? That are kind of in the grime of, um, or not pretty, or you're getting really dirty, or yes. you're, you know, you're stuck in someone's uh, septic tank, or, you know, whatever. And, and so one of the lessons that he kind of learned along the way during the course of that show is he met some amazing people that were really happy doing what they did. Right? So coming out of septic tanks covered in other people's crap right and and then being excited about the opportunity or being just excited about the lifestyle that that affords them and so when somebody asks mike should i follow my passion his response is actually no because Mm -hmm. there are plenty of people that can find passion in things that are not maybe what they originally wanted to do so if if you say my passion is x that means i'm only going to do x it's it doesn't always work out that way like we talked about earlier it's possible to miss the mark and not have the um the soy candles that smell like socks work out so well yeah right yeah absolutely um and another thing i I love that he gave the anecdote because i watched the the clip too of um wanting to be an astronaut and then he said well you know there's only like a (laughs) hundred so if you're going so the odds are against you odds are against you and nobody wants to hear that that's like the biggest bummer if you know you never want to tell a kid you can't be an astronaut when you grow up and i never would because hey maybe that kid will be one of the hundred one of the hundred um but at the same time it's like okay so at some point you know Mm -hmm. that's not going to happen you've done all the things you've done everything right and that didn't pan out so now what how do you make that shift then without feeling like a failure or like you've set your whole life up around something that ultimately was never going to happen. I mean, and I think that's what I really liked about what he was saying is it's it, something about that, whatever it was that made you want to be an astronaut, you can take with you mm-hmm. into whatever else it is that you do, or you find something totally different and learn to love it. We we're complex human beings. We are. We don't just have one thing we like to do. Right. Um, and as we've talked about and covered in lots of our previous conversations about scaling and growing a business and hiring staff, the thing you're doing today, if you grow your business, probably won't be the thing you're doing tomorrow anyway. I mean, right. as far as pure tasks go. Yeah. So, you know, it's the why or that, that more essence, the more essential right. passion behind it that matters. Yeah. 
you know, unless you just really love like stamping papers. There are people out there that do. Yeah. I, I am currently, so so <laughs> in the in the vein of real life stories, I'm currently hiring for a role mm. um, that would serve several of my companies um, in the area of bookkeeping and office and payroll and HR mm-hmm. and kind of that nailing down the office component. And I've gotten people that have applied for this position and I've spoken to them on the phone who that's their passion. They want to... They just want to run an office. They don't yeah. need to see the light of day. They don't need to yeah. um, interact with people. They just want to make sure everything is in tip-top shape. Mm-hmm. And then there's other people that have the passion for something else related to that. So they want to help the thing move forward and improve. And right. their passion is in a slightly different place. Right. Not to say that they don't enjoy the basics of the role but they've got this other passion with them to help improve and make it better. So it reminds me of the way that Mike's row sort of wrapped up that, that segment in, and what he said was when somebody asks him, should I follow my passion? He says, no, but bring it with you Mm -hmm. because you can apply the things that you are passionate about that underlying base, um, drive and motivation that you have for wanting to do something, whatever it is to whatever space you're in. Yeah. Let's circle back to the idea of subsidizing something. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, Joe and I talk, uh, touched on that in episode eight. <clears throat> um, but that's something I'm finding now, you know, I'm, appro- I'm approaching 40. So I'm coming into the second half of my life. That, oh, that no. sounds really depressing. No, I think, I think, I think that the rate that humanity is improving modern <laughs> okay. medicine, you're probably... A third. A third. I'm th- a third done. You're, you're a buck 20, <laughs> buck 30 probably at least is what you're going to make. So, okay. So I'm coming into a new phase of my life. There you and, go. And, um, and at, you know, 18 or 20 or 22, I thought 40 was so irrelevant. I would never have said to myself, self, don't worry about it. Just mm-hmm. buckle down and work, raise some kids. When you're 40, you can do this thing that you want to do right now. But I have to say those decades went by pretty fast. Right. And I'm really glad I'm in a position now that I did focus on something I could build that would help me subsidize the things I want to do. I mean, there's a reason you see retired people sitting on the beach painting. Right. And like walking around with their metal detectors. Yes. And collecting sea glass and whatever else. I mean, right. there's, there's that freedom in having created a plan that lets you get to maybe 50 even or you know mm-hmm. a, a youthful retiree mm-hmm. and then having all this time and resources and freedom to focus on maybe not making any money from the thing at all mm-hmm. something completely separate and outside of it mm-hmm. yeah so i don't know that's kind of where i'm going now when i joked you know joked earlier but i could still make it on broadway i'm not going to try that but i still have there's a lot of years ahead of us yeah and there's a lot of possibilities, and it's not like you have two decades to do fit it all. You got to cram it all in at once, right? And have you know, have some kids and run a business and follow your passion and finish school and all these things that we all feel like we have to do so in such a brief period of time. And for most of us, that's just not the case, right? And half those things wouldn't end up on the bucket list if we were that's true given a terminal um, diagnosis, right? Right. That's very true too. Yeah. 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 The the uh, one thing that I really enjoy is is the idea of not waiting not feeling like you have to wait in order to explore some of the things that you would really want to do. Um, you know, the, the idea of maybe even breaking up retirement life mm. a little bit into, oh, yeah. into your life, um, having time where you do take some time off. But no, no go, pe- go into that more. I want to hear more yeah, about that. Yeah. 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 So, so, um, in, in the interview that I did with Alex Kravitz from Cognity, yeah. um, which is the interview before, 
uh, before Joe. So if you go back, that would have been interview. Well, what would the would be, have been that episode have been? six? Six, yeah. yeah. So episode six. Go back and, and listen. To that. It was a fun interview. Alex brought up um, a great book, which is slipping my mind now, but it will occur to me in a second. But which talks about the idea of the deferred life plan. So the deferred life plan is essentially saying, well, self. I'm going to work. I like where this is going. I like that using that <laughs> phrase. Self, I said. Self, I said. And we're going to have a, th- <laughs> a third party conversation here. <laughs> Focusing on something I don't want to do really or really particularly enjoy for 50 years, the best years of my life. Right. And then after having deferred all the stuff I really want to do. Right. Then going and focusing on that. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not so I'm not so cool with that. Yeah. Um, at the same time, it's it. There's kind of a struggle there because when I think about okay, if I were to, I really enjoy what I do, right? So right. I feel like I found, I found a good a good marriage of doing what I am passionate about, which is thinking, planning the winning the future with my friends, in in conjunction with the 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 career sort of thing, right? The, the idea of what I have to do to make ends meet or the financial planning that I have for myself because I'm, I'm looking to get out of the rat race at a certain point in time. The, the idea of, well, what would I pull in a little earlier in life? What right. would I, what is it that I'm, I'm deferring right now? Uh, that's a hard thing for me because there's a lot of things I do enjoy. I love to travel. Yeah. Um, I love to be present and having great conversations like we do here on the podcast, just about stuff that I'm passionate about or I enjoy exploring. Um, I like to spend more time doing that. You know, I would love to, I'd love to get back and make a big push with another music project, you know, and do something that would be, um, potentially putting a tour together or joining up with another artist or something like that. Um, there are things that I would enjoy doing, but I, I, there right now, I don't feel like any of those are, have to be immediate. Right. But, but you don't want to run out, but I don't want to run out, Yeah, yeah. but, yeah. but the, the bus is right around the corner right. that might be hitting me on the way out the door. Yeah. So who knows? It's it's a crapshoot though, because yeah. like you you know, and yeah, nobody ever gets to be eighty years old and says, you know, I wish I'd made another million bucks or whatever. Spent you more know. time at the office. Uh, yes, yeah. that's what they say. But at the same time, plenty of people get to eighty and think, God, I'm out of money. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and well, I, <laughs> I, and there's that that balance there. Because we can't fit it all. No matter how hard we try, we cannot fit every experience into our lives that we ever want to have. That's a depressing truth. I mean, I don't sure. want to be a big old Debbie Downer, but it oh. is, I know, it is, that is true. Um, I guess it's kind of like you put the big rocks in first and, mm-hmm. and the rest goes in around it. And that principle has to apply there too, because it, you can't have every experience you're ever going to want to have, depending on the length of your life. If you're a vampire, right? you will eventually get bored and run out of stuff to do. Sure. But for us mortals... It's there's going to be something left right. on the on the plate. You know, there's going to yeah. be something left on the table at the end. And I think, like you said, I don't want to spend 50 years slogging away at a job I hate so that I can spend my last 20 or you know years if I'm not so stressed out that I die prematurely or something. Anyway, yeah. enjoying yeah. myself. Um, but it doesn't. That's why we're doing what we're doing. Right. It doesn't have to be that. It doesn't, doesn't have, have to be to. one or the other. We have room to make room space in our lives right now. Right. For some of those things. Yeah. So the idea of subsidizing your passion with a career, a business that you also w- love, that you also have, yeah, yeah, some interest in, right? Yes. Yeah, maybe it's not the be all end all thing. Right. I think more people are open to the idea of doing multiple things at mm-hmm. various points in their life nowadays. Yes. You know, we may not have the same career all the way through. I know most of the resumes I take a look at nowadays for positions that I'm willing to 
hire this person for don't have like this consistent right this is what i've done my whole life kind of uh experience anymore yeah you know? well they call it the gig economy or something everyone's yeah. just cobbling together and and a lot of the people i have to say that i know who are more you know performance type people artist type people that is what they do they cobble together yep the gigs here and teaching there and and i don't even know what all they do um and i i admire that in a lot of ways but i think i decided early on that i needed that there were other things that i could indulge in mm-hmm. that would be fun for me and exciting and scratch all those itches but possibly be more steadily lucrative and so right. that was the direction that i went sure. in somewhat by accident yes. and somewhat by on purpose mm-hmm. so and now trying to become more purposeful about that because um gosh like we talk about all the time with passive income and, and having fewer hours you have to spend working the f- the less hours i have to spend sitting in my computer working the more hours i have to play music or right. whatever it is so you which, know which gets to the essence of what this show is about right? right building your business and designing your life in yeah. that crossroad the um I, I think uh well i had a point you had one and i think i talked right over you no no i didn't it wasn't <laughs> even i had a new thing that i was going to talk okay. about which is gone oh. at this point so yeah oh, all right well um so the other thing i was actually going to just kind of touch on and this is not has really nothing to do with <laughs> anything having to do with the show but i was going to say that i think another thing that's missing nowadays from our culture and maybe we'll get it back because of this way things are going this renaissance sort of style of work that people are kind of gravitating toward is the idea of benefactors i don't that used to be a big way that a an artist type person could make it you had people with money literally supporting you and i think that was what kept some of that really pure and and allowed people to you know make 99 piece of crap paintings so that the hundredth right could be awesome yes and be the one that's in the art museum now hundreds of years later so this idea of support supporting those talents and people who are extraordinarily talented um i think that that kind of kind of solves some of the problems of people trying to monetize or commoditize something that maybe can't be commoditized right Right. Well, and that soapbox. <laughs> yeah. Soapbox. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's a great way to look at it. Yeah. And, and and if you don't have if you don't have people that are that are pursuing it's I look at it like the, the great jobs debate we have in our country. Right. If you don't have people that are pursuing growing companies from small to big. Right. Just mm. accelerating and, and scaling up. You don't have job growth because right. more than half of American jobs come from small, small companies starting and developing and expanding and as we talked about earlier 96 percent of them are going to be gone in 10 years so it's the uh, this idea of what's next yeah who's the next person so if we make continually make it harder and harder or dissuade people from wanting to pursue starting something um or wanting to um make it more difficult for them to grow something i, I think then we kind of shoot ourselves in the foot because we do need we do need people that are pursuing profit we yeah. need people that are pursuing growth, uh, um, ambition, you know, some of those things that are more self-focused, but the great thing about our economy, the great thing about building a business is when you do that, you can only do that if you're providing other people value, yes. if you're providing other people what they want. And so I think that quite often coming back to the passion discussion, when people ask, how do, how do I know what I should do or what? Yeah. How do I follow my passion or what what should I choose to end up doing in life? Because we want we want passion to be in there. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think that's the that's the thread that's run through this whole conversation. We want passion to be in there. And and I think it's one great way to look at how you can at least be thinking about certain things that would help you get to 
a job or a business or a career um, or some involvement that would fit that is to kind of go back to the old standby of the Venn diagram, Mm -hmm. the three circles, right? The three circles where that overlap each other a little bit, equidistant apart. So you have this, this one center section that all three circles where they overlap, right? So that's sort of the sweet spot in the middle of three things. So the first circle is what you're passionate about. Things that you find you're drawn to, um, things that you find come easy to you, uh, things that you find, especially in a professional setting, that just are your wheelhouse, that, that are not hard to do, that you are excited by a little bit. Um, that first first circle is your passion. The second circle is, let's we'll talk about pure economics, right? So things that the world needs, things that the world will actually pay money for. Yeah. So that's the second overlapping position. And then the third one is really something not only that you have an excitement for, you know, the passion for and that the world needs, but something that you can actually differentiate yourself from other people in or something that you can be best at. So when you can clearly define yourself as different from other people and providing that kind of great value with passion for what people want to pay for, then you've got sort of like this three headed perfect storm scenario. Yeah. Um, of, of finding something that both will support you, will engage your passion a little bit. And as we talked about, there's lots of ways to do that. We can have the side hustle. We can have right. the, the, the non-career doing the thing, the art thing that we're passionate about. But then also marrying that with something that we can be great at or already are great at. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that means a little bit of compromise in all three areas, yes. right? It's it's saying, I'm not going to make the, the soy socks scented candles, I'm going to make the soy Checking that domain candles. right now. Socksoycandles.com. Yeah. It's available. It is. Uh, go figure, <laughs> right? The six the six people that are into yeah. that didn't uh, didn't snap it up yet. The um but now you you tweak it a little bit. So yeah. maybe now it becomes the I don't know, the the scented soy candle company. Yeah. And, and it's a it's a different sort of angle and you And does it get you close enough? Yeah. You know, and right. what is it what with the benefit what it buys you, that flexibility, that subsidize, the ability to subsidize other things, yep. the ability to retire earlier, perhaps, or yes. live, you know, create um, some wealth around yourself or have more financial yeah. stability, whatever it is. Is it worth it to have your so- your soy candles smell like flowers instead Absolutely. of socks? Right. I say yay. I say yay as well. <laughs> and, and it reminds me of the conversation I did have with Alex Kravitz of Cognity. Yeah about building a business that is fairly streamlined, doesn't yeah. involve a ton of his time, provides cash flow. It's not it's not a million a year, but it's yeah. it's a stable source of cash flow and he can work from anywhere. So right. now we talk about subsidizing your passion, right? So now he can take a few of the other things that he's really excited about yes. and pour his time into that, not needing the economics to be there, right. not needing to make sure that that, that can support him. Right. Um, so that's what I'm a big advocate for is yeah. building those multiple streams of income through things that that hit that Venn diagram, things you're passionate about, things that you can be the best at and things yeah. the world needs. Um, I want to point out that, that this takes time, right? Yeah. And trial and error yes. and practice um, if you're just coming out of having that soul sucking nine to five job where you haven't even been allowed to think about what you might like to do because mm-hmm. you've been just on someone else's, you know, corporate handbook task, whatever employee, uh, handbook eh, nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, I sound cynical now. That, that, um, that, I think that's, that was almost Rocky horror picture show <laughs> verbatim. 
Yes. If you've been in that position, it might take a while for you to, or if you're young and you're just figuring this out, you're just kind of spreading your wings in this way. It, it's going to take some time. I mean, I think that there are pieces of that Venn diagram that I'm, that are still just locking into place for me. And I've been doing my own business now for quite some time. So yeah. it takes a while and it, and there may be iterations that aren't exactly right. And that doesn't mean they're not valuable because like I said we have long life and yeah. part of this is learning and figuring it out as we go and, and experimenting and with experimenting. it you know because yep. that that does get us closer and closer to that that perfect storm yep absolutely well did we cover all of our did we cover everything that we meant to get to today well I think so I yeah. think in a way I think and it, 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 what's great about this conversation is it's a it's an ongoing one it's yeah. one that kind of weaves its way through most of the interviews that we've had yeah right? absolutely the idea of finding your passion are you pa- Clayton Morris a very first interview are yeah. you passionate about real estate well I became passionate about real estate right. because I saw what it could do for me and, and he learned a lot about it and sometimes delving yeah. in and really getting really you know in the, the weeds about something yes. makes you have excitement about something that you cared nothing about before absolutely Um, there's a saying for that like um excellence breeds i don't know excitement i'm like really screwing up all of my metaphors today but you know what i'm saying like when you really invest in something yeah it can actually cause a spark of excitement that wasn't there before right so yeah some of the challenge of figuring it out becomes exciting and you know we're we're drawn to those sorts of things we're we're creative we're we're creative uh, people in terms of the way that we're made so yeah 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 yeah. it kind of reminds me of when i became better a better cook suddenly i enjoyed cooking mm-hmm. competence right you know kind of created enjoyment out of something that had been previously not very enjoyable so yes yeah there's so, a there's a very hidden nugget of wisdom right there that's yeah and that's what we're going to leave you with <laughs> hey if you've been listening all along you may notice that we have gone to a little bit of a different model we're featuring now interviews on tuesdays and then kind of a deeper dive discussion of some of the themes that emerge from that interview on thursdays so we're doing two episodes a week um check us out at lifeworkpodcast.com please leave us an itunes review or wherever it is you happen to listen to your podcasts. I've actually saw some interesting data this week that um, I don't know, like 40% of people are now not listening in iTunes. Yeah. They're listening elsewhere, which is... It's growing. Uh, it's, yeah, so the, the market share is evening out a little bit. Um, good. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's good. It's, it's diversifying a bit. So wherever it is you're listening to us in that place, please go and tell us what you think. Leave us a comment. You can also um, send us an email at hello at lifeworkpodcast.com. All right, we'll be back next week, next Tuesday. So till then, bye. Thanks for listening to the Life Work Podcast. Build your business and design your life with us every day, Monday through Friday. And find us at lifeworkpodcast.com.